0: This is the word of the Lord from Ephesians 1, 7 to 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Thank you to you guys to do that. Um, it's an awesome passage today, just the imagery and everything else that we get a chance to walk through a little bit. Um, and so I'm just going to uh, pray to get us started here, and we'll we'll dive in. So pray with me, Lord. Thank you for Redeemer Church. Um, thank you that you are are working in the lives of the individuals that comprise this church and. Father, I pray your spirit be be with us this morning that, um, that what I say would, would be true. Um, that you would give us ears to hear and and hearts that want to um, hear from your word, Lord. It's, it's living and it is active and it, it doesn't work in us. And so Father, please just, just fill this room with your spirit and, and be with us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I was a classroom teacher for a while. Um, and if you are a classroom teacher, you know, you know that classroom teachers have a way of developing these phrases that they say all the time. And so I had quite a few of these different phrases, um, but one in particular, it became kind of a joke with my students um, because I used it all of the time. And it applied to every situation, and so I could use it multiple times every single day. Seen. It didn't matter if the kids were upset because they got a bad grade or if they got a good grade. Um, it didn't matter if they were just felt like the semester was droning on or if the lesson was drumming on. Um, it didn't matter what was going on in the classroom because this joke or I'm sorry, this saying could apply anywhere even if it did become a joke or not. And So um, that, that saying that I always use with them was the joy lies in the journey, not the destination. Kid gets back very, listen, the joy lies in the journey, not the destination. This is all just part of the journey, right? Um, or if they're just kind of bored or if they just, when you work with seniors, second semester seniors, or anyone else who has worked in high school, knows that second semester seniors are they're just the worst for that little ride. We love them, but all they want to do is get out of there. They need that constant reminding that, look, God is doing something right now, even in this moment. The joy is in the journey, not just in the destination of getting your diploma. Um, even with us today, whether you're young, you're old, you're retired, you are in the career course, or you are a student, this still applies to us, um, and I think a lot of this applies to us because we're in this habit, of always looking for what is next. We don't really slow down to enjoy the present, to see what God is doing right in the here and now. We just always kind of want to get to the next thing. As we've been going through this sermon series of being in Christ, we, this is a perfect time to kind of talk about that, um, because we as Christians, we do this with our salvation. The scripture text today from Ephesians is all about being in. And I think we're really, really comfortable with two parts of being redeemed. We're comfortable with the past part of being redeemed, right? That God has given us forgiveness for our sins. And that makes sense. And that's needed. And it is completely true. without that part of it, all of Christianity is gone, right? We're comfortable with the future part of it. That there is going to be coming a new heaven and new earth, right? That God is going to redeem all things and wipe away every tear. And we're comfortable with thinking about we will be one with God. And that's how we think about redemption a lot, as Josh introduced in our first sermon series, or our first sermon within the series, but there's also a part of salvation that applies to the now, because if we just live in the past, that can lead to despair, can lead to pride, if you think about what you used to be what God brought you to. If you just live in the future, that devoids and robs the present of all meaning that it has. And so we want to think about how does being redeemed apply to us if we are in Christ, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. They already, but not yet, God is redeeming us about how being in Christ and redeemed in Christ impacts our life. But before we, we get to talking about that, talking about our scripture within Ephesians today, we got to define what this life is right now and what we're going through. Um, and so we're going to first start off in, in First Peter chapter 1, verses 17-19. through 19. It's up on the screen there if you don't want to flip there. So in 1 Peter 1, he writes, And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the few ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We have heard exile. Right now. We're in a land where we are sojourning is another way that the Bible describes it. And it is a feudal journey that we are on right now, just as it says here that the feudal ways of our forefathers. And so when we talk about what these feudal ways are, we're going to take a little bit of a field trip to one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. Um, and that's Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes really gets to pointing or painting this picture of what life is like for us this already, but not yet inside this broken world that we live in. And so when I say Ecclesiastes, um, for those of you who are familiar with the book, you probably think, of, like, if I were to ask you one word about Ecclesiastes, what comes to mind, I'm willing that most of us would say vanity, right? Because that's what comes up. It actually comes up 34 times in that small little book in the Old Testament, vanity of vanities, right? And so let's look at Ecclesiastes 1 a little bit versus 1-5 here says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down, and it hastens to the place where it rises. Later in verse 8 it says, All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been will always be, and what has been done is what will always be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing in which it is said, see, this is new. It is, already, it is already in the ages before us. And so the, the preacher within Ecclesiastes, he has a rosy outlook on life, right? But I think we can, there's something about this book that draws us to it because we see the truth of what is being preached here within our own lives. And so there's a, another important part that when we look at this, I think that we have to take into consideration. that comes from chapter 3 in Ecclesiastes. Verse 11 says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. So God's still doing something in this time, right? He has made everything beautiful in its time also. He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. God's put eternity into our hearts. We know that there is something more out there to this world. And I think for a lot of us, especially for me, that's what has brought a lot of us to Christ, is that longing and knowing that there is something more to this world that we can't quite put our fingers on, that once we meet Jesus and we hear about the story, it starts to make sense, that we start to put our finger on that this is the greater thing that, that I know that is out there. Um, because when we have eternity written on our hearts. It doesn't matter what you have or how much you have of it. I don't care if it's money, cars, house, any of that stuff. There's eternity on your heart. You won't be satisfied, with that. it's going it to be those fleeting pleasures. It doesn't matter if it's a small thing or one of the big sacramental parts of life that are a big deal. Um, we can try and grab after them, but they're just evil. Right. that word vanity, within Ecclesiastes, is the Hebrew word hevel, and so the best way to think of that—that hevel—is kind of like on a cold night. Um, I don't know if I did it last night or not. I was inside. With it, it's, it's just tiring. Um, what's that never ending task? Maybe around your house, maybe around at work, maybe with certain relationships that you have that it just seems never ending. That it's just like, oh my gosh, I'm having to do this again. Um, things don't work out in this world the way that we want them to work out, right? You can come up with a really great plan. You can even be doing a really great plan, like for the right reasons and for the Lord, and because this world is broken things are futile within this world, oftentimes those plans get defeated, they get turned upside down. And so for, for some of us, maybe these these pursuits, maybe it's kids for you. A lot of us have kids in the room, or if you are a kid, and you can think about your parents' perspective for a moment, right? Um, if you have the little ones, I mean, there's there's no bigger honor and joy to have these kids in your, your home. But at the same time, so much of what you do with our, our daughter, you have to wrestle her down, literally wrestle her down and to change your diaper. And within an hour, we're going to be changing that diaper again, right? It's futile. It's almost meaningless because of that. Um, if you have a toddler, you're going to be telling that toddler to pick up their toys 20 times that day. And you better believe that tomorrow, the next day, you're going to tell them 20 times again to pick up their toys. I um, don't have teenagers i have worked in schools long enough to know that it doesn't matter how much Intention, you tell a teenager something, they're going to give you the idol, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's just how they're programmed right now. Um, for some of us, this this main pursuit, it, it might be your career. Um, we spend eight to ten plus hours every single day at, at work. Um, a lot of us isn't is the me to to or This is the me to men to just providing for our families. Many of us that have inboxes within our work know that you can clear out that inbox and work very hard to clear out that inbox. And when you wake up the next day, there will be more emails waiting for you to respond to. If you have earning projections in your job, you can work as hard as you can to meet those earning projections. But you better believe that by the next quarter, those earning projections are going to go higher, whether you met them or not, right? And it is this vain pursuit of continuing to run on a treadmill with. We're always going to have bosses that don't understand. We're always going to have rude customers. And it is going to be one of those things that makes what our pursuit is. world is going to rust and decay, things will break, unthinkable things will happen. I mean, that is just again um, to get super practical with the vanity of life and the, the share little story that I kid you not happened this week. A I of dying, as Kelly Hudson said this week, a community group. um We, Carrie and I decided last week, like, well, we're going we're gonna to clean the floor of our house because we lived there for like four years and have never done it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not really, but kind of. Um, And so one of us would entertain the kids, and one of us would be working on the floor. We were sweeping them, we were um, vacuuming everything, we were mopping. Um, And we finally, like after two days of working at this, we're like, look at this. Look at how cute these floors are, how awesome are this? And so we make dinner, and um, by God's providence, we had spaghetti and meatballs. Um, (laughs) And and so you can picture a big old meatball, I don't know which kid it was, Go to the sauce covered and all that goes into the air and then boom right underneath our dining table somehow and sauce flatters <coughs> everywhere and Terry and I just looked at each other like yeah that, that makes sense right? <laughs> uh, and so I wish it ended there so we go upstairs <laughs> we go upstairs uh, we go put the kids down to bed and all of that I didn't clean up yet um, we have a wonderful cat who is up for adoption. Uh, <laughs> Some of the meatball. We didn't know this. We come down the stairs after the kids. Um, we put the kids down and all of that. And so we clean up the dining and room table. If you've ever cleaned up dried spaghetti sauce, it takes forever, but then our floors are cleaning it, right? Carrie and I can go to bed trusting that our floors are clean. It feels great. And then I wake up in the morning and all over the floor is some a nice present from our cat whose digestive system that agree with uh, the meatball very well. And on our clean floors, that uh, everybody everybody's upstairs sleeping, but somehow still managed to happen, right? It's a comedic example, but it shows um, us that even, it shows us why this despair and this anxiety and the depression is so common within our culture these days because there is so much vanity and futile ways that we're fighting with. So now we're going to turn to Ephesians to see how Christ is working in our lives to redeem our lives right in the here and now. So I'm going to... We read this here to remind us. It says in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. See, being redeemed isn't just about forgiveness, it's not just about that future hope. Being redeemed also means that God transforms the way we experience the futility within our lives, that we we find ourselves immersed in. So I want to take a pause here really quick and just be really clear at what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that Christ removes futility from our lives. All of us are part of this broken world, that futility, and those main pursuits are always going to be there. The world will always be broken. The grass will always be broken again. God is not going to necessarily provide some magical big job for you in which you have a great boss and the e- emails into themselves and that sort of thing, right? Even illnesses and things that go wrong with our bodies, that doesn't mean that God's going to get rid of the futility within those things. That's not always how he functions in that way. Instead, in Ephesians, is that he infuses meaning and purpose into what we are doing. No matter how vain the pursuit. Christ infuses meaning and purpose into what we are doing. So it's just like infusions and IV treatment in the hospital. Somebody goes to the hospital because they're dehydrated. That's a serious thing, right? You have all the symptoms that go along with it. But the doctors are going to infuse you with the exact balance of electrolytes, water and what you need and get it to exactly where it needs to go the blood, right? You don't drink it or something like that or anything else. It goes directly to the blood of where you need it so that it has the most maximum effect. And us being humans having eternity on our hearts, that's what the gospel does for us. Right? Christ infuses what we need, meaning and purpose into this broken world and directly where we need it in in our being, in our soul, as the Bible says. And the beautiful thing do, but receive the meaning and the purpose that God is giving to us. And so it uh, works pretty well to, to think about those two, we have nothing to earn or prove in order to have that infused meaning. So Jesus infused meaning into our lives in three ways. I and mean, this is what we'll see in the text here. We'll break it down one by one. He infuses the meaning through what he did, what he is doing, and what he will do. So let's start with, with what he did. In verses 7 and 8. Alright, said that in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. See, so, redemption is released by pain. That's what that means there. And so Christ was the payment for our sin. God can't overlook sin. He is just and he is loving. And that would be the most unloving thing to do if he were to be untrue to himself and say, I'm just going to forget about all the stuff that happened. Christ paid the price that that God was owed for the sin that you and I have created, the mess that you and I have created. So that that wrath of God, that's terrifying. Just, it should terrify us a little bit when we think about the wrath of God. It's perfectly just and, and perfectly reasonable why he would have that if we rebelled against the, the creator in that way. But God is the, both the justifier and the just, right, just like Romans 3 tells us, because of the way that Christ dealt with the sin that we created, I love the imagery that's here, the riches of his grace that were lavished upon us, right, he gives forgiveness according to the riches of his grace, and there's a difference here, if he gave riches um, by by the grace, According to the riches of his grace, he has this infinite storehouse of grace and mercy, and so he gives us gives us grace and mercy according to that. Which means we are lavished with grace and mercy. It's not just a little bit. It's not just enough to do the job. Instead, every day God's mercies are new, and he lavishes us with that grace. Um, it's kind of like I think when I, I look at this, I think of pancakes. All right. Pancakes, we talk about fetal things. I think pancakes are pretty fetal. It's a flavorless sponge, right? No one eats a dry pancake that I'm aware of. We all eat pancakes so that we can eat syrup on our pancakes, right? (laughs) And so when I give my pancakes sometimes on on Saturday mornings with my kids, I will give them syrup by the syrup bottle that I have, right? It's just I will give them that syrup. I just a little drop on each little part of it, and that makes it tolerable enough that it is. But you better believe when I get to me eating my pancake, I give according to the size of the giant jug of syrup that we have and pour it on there so that my syrup sponge is delicious, right? There's a difference there, too, with that God just gave us grace and it was just enough, but instead he lavishes us. He pours grace on us so that we can have that mercy in our lives. And this this forgiveness and this freedom and this grace that we are lavished with, it infuses meaning into our life in the here and now. There's no more shame and guilt. God has lavished us with grace. There's no more shame and guilt. There's no need to hide ourselves, right? There's no need to hide our sin. We can be honest with it because we are in Christ. When we take hold of this love, it radically changes the way we experience life. Just as Josh talked about last week, we are finally accepted. These few things we are striving for, they pale in comparison to the gospel of grace that God has given us. It reorients our life's priorities when we realize just how much grace God has given us. Rick Riordan, who's an American author, writes, love is the most powerful motivator in the world. It spurs mortals to greatness. Their noblest and greatest acts are done for love. There's something about the fuel and pursuits that we're going through that have infused noble meaning because of the love which which God has for us. We see this further when we look at what Christ is currently doing. And so he's making known to us the mystery of his will. So when we look at verse 9, It says, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is this this mystery that he's referencing? And so um, we're not going to jump ahead. We'll get to Ephesians 3 um, in a few weeks. However, let's, let's go there real quick just so we can see what that mystery is. And so Ephesians 3, verses 3 through 6, says that how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, As I have written briefly, Paul speaking of himself there. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Here's where he says, The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. God is redeeming a people for himself. That's what he's doing in the here and now. That's why there's meaning in this this journey that we find ourselves on right now. God is working to create a church. Just as Glenn talked about at the beginning of the service here, people come and collectively are gathering as one giant church around the world today. And verse 10 shows us that God is working through this church. In chapter 3, verse 10, All right, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. God is working through this church. There is purpose in what God is doing. And so C.S. Lewis has this great quote where he reckons God's redemption in this life to kind of the remodeling of a house and what God is doing, the building of a house. And so. While C.S. Lewis meant it for the individual, I think we can think about it very clearly as the collective whole of what God is doing in his church all around the world, church local as well as the church local here at Redeemer. So C.S. Lewis says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in and rebuild that house. And at first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. Starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace, and he intends to come and live. God's doing in your life individually and here now, and that's what God is doing within the church global. That's what gives this purpose. This purpose and meaning is infused right into where we are right now, and we have a part to play in what God is doing is the amazing part of all of this. So suddenly that dirty floor within the home, it becomes a means to welcome others into your home and show them hospitality, right? And so when we clean the floor, now there's purpose beyond just trying to have The bigger house, the more powerful job. It just just isn't important as much because climbing the corporate ladder isn't necessarily where our priorities align with what God is doing. Maybe it does, but also maybe we reorient our priorities. We aren't just redeemed from sin or from a futile way of life, right? We're redeemed to a life of accomplishing the good works that can never redeem us in the first place. The things that we let control our lives, money, things, comfort, being liked by others, whatever that might be for you, we all have them, right? God's working on all of us. We can identify that slavery. We can identify the futility and be honest with ourselves. As we reorient those priorities, reorient what's important in our lives so that we can partake in something that we've been invited to partake in, that's much greater than any of these things that we currently are looking at our lives. We learn that more of blank is not the answer to the futility that we experience in life. More of blank is not going to satisfy. You feel that blank in yourself. Whatever those idols, whatever those things you are pursuing, more of it is not going to end the futility that we experience in this life. There will still be lines and places that you have to wait. There will still be broken things. There will still be long, that means mowed on a Sunday, right? What we learn is that Jesus is the only thing that's going to fill and give us purpose. That if eternity is on our hearts, like Ecclesiastes 3 says, the gospel of Christ is the only thing that can infuse the meaning that we desperately need in the world today. The more we know Christ, the bigger the infusions are that we receive, right? The more time we invest in that, the bigger the infusions that we have are. Is infused in these futilities as striving cease, because God's kingdom doesn't fail; it will not fail. And so, are you experiencing this infusion of purpose in your life, or how much of this infusion of purpose are you truly experiencing and realizing within your life? Do you have more than the vain pursuits of the world? Are your priorities have they been reoriented as you come to know Christ? Is salvation more than a destination or a point? In in your relationship with Christ to you. Um, experience the futility as it's being transformed and that it has meaning. It doesn't mean that we're happy-go-lucky. It doesn't mean that we're necessarily cheerleaders every single second of every single day. We can still feel the hurt and the sorrow and lament with what the world is going through. But it means that we are no longer hopeless. And that's the difference, right? When we have this meaning and purpose infused, we can lament. We can cry with people when the time is to cry, but we also we can also know that we're not hopeless because God is accomplishing something. It's not an easier life. It's not a cleaner, nobler life when we come to know Christ, but it's a life that has been touched by the grace that has been lavished on us, according to God's infinite storehouses of mercy and love. So as we wrap up and then in conclusion here, we get to look forward to what God is going to do because that's the first part or the last part of these verses that we see in verse 10. It says that as a plane for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth God is in the process of uniting all things in him. It's essentially what we're going to be going back to the, the Garden of Eden in a way right? Where we were created to have this perfect relationship and be in relationship with our God, to not have to hide, to not have to be ashamed of anything. But God is going to unite things in the way of which they were first created for us to know and experience God as we were supposed to in what God and what Christ will accomplish. It's that, that perfect unity that, that we're longing for. See, then this whole series of, of being in Christ will find its fulfillment. One day when Christ comes back. Because we will be so unified within him. We will finally know what our heart's longings are beyond the wildest dreams, quite honest with you, within all of that. It's coming a time that the curse will be reversed. That futility that was put on creation will be lifted. And we won't experience the bondage in that way. I've thought about how best to communicate this, but I thought about Jesus' own words. In John 17 in the high priestly prayer the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. He's in the garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood, thinking through this, and he's praying to God the Father. And specifically I think on the screen here you should have um, John 17 verses 20 through 26. I'm going to read them as kind of our closing thoughts here. So that do not ask for these only, but also for those who who will believe in me through their word Father, thank you for the, the truth of your word. Christ, thank you that you're working in the past, that you have worked. You're working in the present to infuse that need. And the hope that you have given us works for the future, that, that we will be one with you. Father, I pray for, for more of you. And I pray that we would know you more than the frustrating and the saddening and maddening and futile ways that we feel broken times in this broken world, Lord, that, Christ, you would come alongside us and then through your spirit that you would infuse the meaning and purpose and remind us of our higher calling, that you are doing something within the midst of.